Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It, it, it's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm-hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this holy crap they're coming teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached. When I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom, I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 410, Trapping for Better Wild Turkey Hatches with Alan Probst. And I am your co-host and the guy who went on a heck of a dove hunt. Saturday. Awesome. I'm glad to hear that went well. Yeah. I'm your co-host and the guy who is getting plots ready. I'm actually on a cell phone right now, not on my microphone if my audio sounds bad. Headed to accept a, a big delivery of seed. So There you go. That's what I'm doing. Good deal. So Gotta you like and your that. dad wore them out? Well, kind of. Or war- shot at them at least? <laughs> well, kind of. So my dad killed zero doves, and I killed one dove and a crow. Nice. But we had a great time. Good company, amazing food, and got to hunt just a beautiful piece of property. It was actually a good shoot. It was just one of those where 
if you were in a good spot, you got some you shooting in. If yeah. you were in a bad spot, you didn't get very much shooting in at all. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, again, I'm not going to complain about it. I've been on plenty of shoots like that before where I've been in the good spots and just absolutely either wore them out or absolutely shot a whole bunch. But it yeah. was a lot of fun. And I got to tell you that, let me tell you the story of the crow kill. <laughs> So it was getting to be late afternoon, and here comes this crow just all the way across the field, flew over two other hunters, and I walked over and was standing next to my dad, and we were just standing there talking, and here comes this crow. Well, he didn't see the crow, and so I throw my gun up, and when I do, he immediately gets his ready, and he's looking around, looking around, looking around. Well, he still doesn't see the crow, and I went, boom, and the crow didn't flinch. Boom, and the crow didn't flinch. And I was like, Dad, gum, I think I'm shooting in front of him because he was just kind of soaring along. He wasn't, yeah, you know, wasn't flying. And I, what I've noticed is that usually when, like a dove, and you tell me about ducks because I don't shoot ducks, but if you're leading something too far and you shoot in front of it, they'll dart. You know, yeah, they'll, they kind of pull back and yeah, drop. Drop down usually yeah. is, their, is their move. And But the crow was not moving at all. And I just got to thinking... I still felt like, okay, the crows, he was up there pretty good, pretty high, but he was still just not moving very fast. And a load of number seven and a half or number eight is moving pretty fast when it comes out of the barrel. So third shot, I cut my lead in half and shot, and the crow never flinched. (laughs) Finally, my dad sees it, and he starts laughing. (laughs) You shot three times? (laughs) I shot three times at the crow. And after the third shot, my dad sees it, and he starts kind of chuckling a little bit, like, <laughs> you missed that thing three times. About six seconds after the third shot, that crow's getting lower and lower and lower, and then he just folds up and just drops. <laughs> he just fell. And so I said, that's how you do it right there. My dad goes, dang, I can't. I can't believe it. It took him that long just to fold up and die. I said, well, you know, I like to gut shoot them. So that's kind of how that works. But nice. Got me another nest well, predator out of the population. Good deal. Yeah, these are, I assume the crows we have around right now are kind of those local crows. Even more bang for your buck when you kill them. Yeah, yeah. So these the migratory ones that'll be here, you know, over winter. But it, yeah. uh, I, I went dove hunting again this this morning actually, and had a pretty good hunt before work. We got did you really? My brother and I, we got I think fifteen or sixteen before work. Nice. So it was it was not bad. We got a lot of doves this year. It's been fun. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, got a couple uh, wood rows over the weekend. The yeah, early yeah. wood duck season it was pretty neat. I went down there. Got my gun, you know, dog, everything. Get on this little island just to pass shoot some wood ducks. First light, here comes two sailing down the old river, one behind the other. Boom, both of them folded, limited out. It's like, all right, one shot, two woodies. Yeah, time to go to Waffle House. Yeah, time to head home. (laughs) 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 That was it. (laughs) But it was good. Well, you sent me that picture. I don't know if you posted it on social or not, but Mac looked like he had just hit the lottery, man. I mean. Oh, yeah. He made two really good retrieves, and he's so fat and out of shape after his summer of leisure that he needed, I need to shoot 15 or 20 and get him rolling. But the doves have been helping because he's hot and he's having to run a bunch of retrieves, so he's getting back in shape a little bit. 
Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. But he's he's having a nice leisurely uh, summer, which we all have. And trapping season's about to kick off. Yes, indeed. It's time for all of us to get out and get active. Yeah, no doubt. Just get some good exercise in, running a trap line, and do some good scouting as well. You know, that's a great opportunity to get out and do some scouting if you're hunting a new piece of property or, you know, maybe you're going to just run some traps in an area that you've not really hunted and taken time to learn. It's an excellent opportunity to do that. And, you know, as our guest today says as well, it is a phenomenal opportunity to get your kids outdoors kids and grandkids and it that does not matter their age to take them out and run a trap line that's it and so we're we're actually going to do a series on trapping another another series it'll be four parts three guests and then andy and i'll talk about our somewhat knowledge of trapping (laughs) yeah share my knowledge of trapping chipmunks yeah there you go you you do seem to be expert at that i don't know how much that helps the turkeys (laughs) out but we got that we got that part down, but we got Alan Probst this week, and he's full of great information. Y'all may have heard him if you've listened to the podcast from his seminar at the NWTF convention this past year. We played that, but we wanted to get him on here for an interview. It just it seems very timely to give everybody as much information as we can about trapping predators right before we go into trapping season. Yeah. And hopefully everybody will get inspired. I know I've, I've got 32 traps being ordered today so i'm inspired i'm going to get after them 32 traps you ought to be able to take out some nest predators i plan to and i already got a dozen coyote traps that are ready to roll i'm going to be all out running about 40 50 traps this i'm getting serious about it getting very serious about it because i want to maximize my time and if i'm going to go to the property to put traps out it really doesn't take that much longer to set 20 as it does 10 you know yeah and you double your odds of catching so i'm 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 wanting to maximize my time of running those trap lines and setting them out maximize how many i can take out so mm-hmm. it's, it's about to be time so what do you say we hop in here talk to alan about trapping something he's very familiar with and see everybody on the other side hey everybody cameron and i are glad to tell you that we have on the line with us today alan probes with north american trapper and Alan is, well, he's one of the many experts in trapping, and there's a lot of them around. And so we're going to talk trapping nest predators, probably accidentally touch on the topic of trapping bobcats and coyotes, those critters that I guess we have to worry about hitting the the hen on the nest primarily, but, you know, are not, I would say, are not unlikely to go after a live turkey that's not sitting on a nest so anyway we're going to jump in and do this but alan how are you today good i appreciate you guys having me on well we appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come on and share some knowledge with us and you know i'm going to tell you right off the bat i am not a trapping expert even though i have been trapping since probably the age of about eight or nine when my uncle brought a have a heart trap over to me one day and I started trapping whatever would get in the trap and Mm, but it was all around the house in suburban area of Birmingham and you know my extent of using bait to get in the animal in that live trap was peanut butter so (laughs) you probably know as well as I do 
I trapped squirrels, I trapped raccoons, possums, and even a few of the neighbor's cats over the period of years, and obviously a lot of birds as well. But that was, you know, really for me kind of, I loved it at that time. I still love it today. I just don't devote the amount of time to do it that I need to. And, you know, I also, other than trapping in my own backyard, which Cameron and I have shared a few stories about (laughs) that on the show because he helped me one spring or interned for me one spring and I had him running a trap line, trapping coons and possums with my, at the time, new dog-proof traps in the backyard of the house. That was his first duty every morning was to go check the trap line for me. So we have a little bit of, of I don't know, Cameron, was that your first real experience in trapping, or did you do some as a kid? Yeah, not really any as a kid. We did trap. My brother bought like a dozen dog proofs once when I was, you know, maybe in high school and Mm -hmm. we went and trapped some raccoons and stuff with that. That was, that was my first experience with it. I've only probably within the past 12 months to two years been really, uh, involved in trapping and, and trying my best to make that a part of my annual process. Yeah. Yeah. So Cameron, neither Cameron nor I will claim to be experts on trapping. And that is why we have you on here because you are the expert. So, you know, we're going to be asking questions, I would say, probably from that beginner to intermediate, intermediary type learner or trapper. So I want to thank you for coming on and and taking some time to, to talk to us about that. And, you know, I think that as the fur market has taken a beating just from the anti-fur people over the years. And then here comes this thing called COVID, which, you know, from what I've read, just put an absolute chokehold on the fur markets. You know, I I think that, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that what's going to help bring trapping back are hunters that want to get rid of some of these predators and not just for turkeys, not just to protect their turkey population, but also quail, white-tailed deer, really anything that we hunt. And so, you know, that's kind of my thought is as far as Cameron and I being big-time turkey hunters, if we want more turkeys, we know we've got to, to plant the seed in order to be able to have more turkeys. And part of planting that seed is, hey, we need more baby turkeys on the ground every single year. And so, you know, that's why we wanted to kind of approach this from from the angle of of nest predators. But what would you say, and you live in Pennsylvania, I know you've traveled all across the U.S. and, and lived in several places around the U.S. as well. But what, in your opinion, what do you think in your area in PA is the number one nest predator for wild turkeys? Well, it's been proven anywhere across the country. The raccoon is by far and away the number one nest predator, you know, and that is followed by, it's followed by the possum, the skunk, and believe it or not, dogs, other various critters. I mean, any, I mean, any domestic or, you know, wild animal that comes across a a nest, whether it's turkey, quail, duck, whatever, they're, they're, they're more apt, you know, going to investigate it and destroy it, whether they take the hen, the plus one, which I like to say. I want to go back real quick. Uh, you know, I appreciate you having me on and 
you know, say an expert, you know, really in trapping, you know, I don't think there is any experts. That's just my philosophy. I learn things every day when I'm out in the field. I've been trapping. I think it's kind of cool. You started when you're eight. I got beat by one year. I caught my first muskrat when I was seven. And I learned things here. I'm 52 years old and I'm still learning things. Uh, There's, there's one really cool thing about what we're talking about today is that anybody can do this and have the same success as anybody else, just depending on two things. One, which population animals and two, how much work do you want to put in? How many traps you want to put in the ground? I mean, I started this, you know, nest raider in approach to try and educate hunters and farmers and ranchers uh, we started that I'm, I'm sure some of the people listening or maybe yourself has seen our showcase which we run on pursuit where we dedicate a half hour promoting these type of techniques but the studies have shown that about 65 to 70 percent of your nests are being predated on by raccoons and then that's followed down the line uh, by possums skunks and and you know, coyotes and things like that. And the one thing that happens in a lot of those instances is that hen will stay on that nest and and fight to the death a lot of times. So a lot of times when those animals and predators find those nests, it's a plus one issue to where the eggs are gone and they're taking the the live hen too. So um, there's not a lot that really needs to be done. And that's one of the things we try and educate people on. And we have a whole beginner series on YouTube uh, under North American Trapper TV. And we show people how easy it is. And our whole premise is to just let people know that these dog proofs with some bait and some trailing scent. And, you know, we obviously sell our stuff, our Coobuster magnet, but the whole process there's people that use dog food cat food you know you can catch these animals depending on how much time you put into it so that's a long way to answer just one single word raccoons but i kind of wanted to get them out of there yeah yeah do you solely use dog proofs for raccoons or do you use any of the like cage style live traps well yeah it depends we do use the cage traps you know, when we're around, you know, more public areas, you know, where mm-hmm. it can be seen, you know, we don't want to, you know, throw uh, dog proof in right along the highway where you, know, you catch a yeah. raccoon and in 122,000 people that drive that road a day see a raccoon, you know, so, but <laughs> more often than not, those dog proofs are pretty foolproof. Um, one thing it allows you to do is set near, uh, dwellings and, and where dogs are on farms and ranches and houses and chicken coops and things like that. It, it really takes that equation of having to worry about a dog getting in them out because they don't have the tangible fingers to get down in there. Now a cat, house cats and stray cats and things do have a tendency if, if they work the set to get their fingernail under the trigger and it'll go off. Now the one thing, it won't, you know, it's not going to snap their leg, but, Another thing you can do to keep the cats out of it is use a sweet trailing. I, I've set literally thousands of dog proofs, and, you know, as we all know, one of the major problems, which a lot of us don't talk about because I don't uh, know why we can't get this into the mainstream, but the the biggest predator out there for ground nesting birds, yes, it's raccoons and possums and skunks, but it's the feral cat. 
and there's about a hundred million of them running loose in the United States. And but if you're going to set a dog proof around house or whatever, just use a sweet bait because cats don't usually like anything sweet. They're not going to work the set. So you know you handle a lot of those issues. Like I said, I've set thousands of dog proofs and never caught a cat. Yeah. You know. Have you? Knock on wood. Yeah. With the dog proof. I've just had like several friends who seem more comfortable using like a cage style trap because they may not like walking up to the coon with his paw stuck in the trap or whatever. Have you noticed that dog proofs work better than the cage style or equally for raccoons, you know, meso mammals like raccoons and possums? Or, you know, would you go as far as to say one's better than the other, I guess? For catching things? Well, the just I'm a numbers guy. Mathematics tells you that the dog proof's better. Uh, just for the mere fact you can put more dog proofs in the ground per day. You can set yeah. those faster than cage traps. So from a pure numbers game, it's definitely the dog proof. You know, I, I, if you wanted to put, I don't know, the back of a pickup truck, you can probably fit 12, 15, maybe 18 case traps. You put 300 dog proof trucks. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's, you know, just a numbers game there you're going to do better with. And, you know, at the, the point of, uh, you know, these traps are, are pretty animal friendly. Uh, you know, yeah. yeah, your paws in the trap, but, you know, these dog proofs, they don't allow that animal to, to get under any pan or whatever and work your foot. They're, they're pretty efficient. And they're pretty sound management tools. So, you know, when somebody asks, um, and I'm not going to get off on political tangents here, but I could name at least six to eight off the top of my head where that, that would be a hypocritical view, walking up on a raccoon with his foot in a trap compared to what you're allowing in today's society. So I'll leave that at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in your experience, would you be willing to say that trapping no doubt will help your ground nesting birds such as turkeys there's no doubt 100 percent. and 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 is it the catch-all the end-all no absolutely not there's there's a lot that goes into producing not just turkeys but deer and, and you know there's there's examples of that around his little yeah. oasis of 100 acres where he basically uh, you know started with a piece of land that had really nothing valuable on it other than the land itself. And he's turned it into, you know, he calls it the proving grounds. <laughs> you know, he's got, he's got everything now and he traps to, you know, help. It's just a, a it's a process. If somebody tells you that if you trap, you're going to have turkeys, there is truth to that, but there are a lot of other variables that you need to do it. And, you know, one of the mm-hmm. things that I like to, to, you know, try and educate people on and, is, is that fact, and, and it's part of becoming the steward of your own land. A prime example, you know, I'm good friends with uh, Cuz Strickland, and he invited me down to teach his grandsons how to trap. And I went down there, and they haven't seen turkeys on his land in probably eight to ten years. And now them young boys have been out there chasing these nestorators for two straight years, and they're getting not only turkeys on their, their cameras, they're getting poults. And they're seeing a lot more wildlife because they have made concerted effort. Now, because his family also do a lot of habitat, man. They plant yeah. some food plots and they clear some land. And, and so it's, it's, a, it's a multitude of different factors, just like anything else. But trapping is an integral part of that conservation approach. Yeah. Yeah. That 
echoed in my thoughts. It's it's kind of a twofold deal. Habitat and, and predator management just need to go hand in hand. They really do. Yeah, I've in all of the people that I've talked to about turkeys and turkey hunting, I have yet to speak to anyone who has told me, yes, I've been trapping religiously for the past two years, five years, eight years, and it's done nothing to help my turkeys, my turkey population. So, you know, kind of the way I look at it is, yes, you know, I may not be the guy who's out there running a trap line every single day or three days a week or one day a week on average, but if I can remove eight, 10, 20 nest predators off of a piece of property and one turkey survives because of my efforts, one egg makes it to be a poult, then my efforts have been successful. So yeah, yeah, I, I, I mean, I've had, I can't tell you how many people, whether it's the NWTF convention or people reaching out to me on social media and Cameron, I know it's the same way with you, with social media as well. But I've I've never had anybody tell me that, you know, I've been trapping for consistently and over a period of time. And my population on my property is lower today than it was before I started. Yeah. Alan, are you a turkey hunter too? Yeah, I, I turkey hunt. I know just about enough to get myself in trouble. Uh, <laughs> I When I turkey hunt, I usually turkey hunt on an invite where somebody else will do the call. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Actually, uh, one, of, one of the NWTF uh, leaders in Pennsylvania, Phil Farrar, actually invited me out to his camp this uh this past spring and and i went out and spent about three days with him running the hills of pennsylvania and and, uh we heard a lot of birds we saw a couple but you know it just wasn't we weren't hitting it at the right time they were heading up and you know they're hanging up at 70 yards and you know the hen walks away and you know the gobbler obviously follows because he's not doing what's supposed to happen in nature at that time so yeah. We uh, yeah. we did we, we had a great time though. We you know I one of the favorite things, my favorite things, and it's such a simple thing, I guess. I I don't know if other people get as fired up about it, but I there's nothing like the, one of the, my favorite sounds in nature is like an owl hoot, and when an owl hoots, and it just seemed like the woods where we were were just full of owls, and so I enjoyed that about as much as the the interaction with the turkey. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the springtime's just an awesome time to be in the woods anyway. No doubt. If somebody had, you know, let's just say your average Joe who's wanting to do some damage on his property with the predators, you know, most likely isn't going to have time to trap all year, every day of the year. And if it's legal in his state, what month would be the most beneficial for the ground nesting birds? And, you know, like, in my opinion, I think the southeast may be March or April. You know. Yeah, um that's a that's a subject that's starting to uh come up a lot more since more people are getting into it, especially dealing with the turkeys and stuff. My opinion on that is very steadfast. Uh I don't trap just to, to take animals out of the population, um, for one specific reason and and I'm a uh you know, conservationist at heart and, you know, tradition and everything else that goes into that when when I'm out there trapping animals, I want a value out of that animal. Uh, I do not, uh, well, you know, it's harsh language, but I do not condone catching anything and then just throwing it away. Uh, 
um, I, I feel that it's it's our duty as sportsmen to get the value out of that animal as well. And I look at it this way. It doesn't matter when you trap. If you're trapping in October, November, December, January, February, March, April, whatever, you're still taking that animal or that raccoon or that possum out of the equation. So that animal's not there in March or April anyway. So if you're catching it in November, it's not there in April. If you're catching it in yeah. December, it's not there in April. So, no, you know, everybody, not everybody, but there are people who say, well, you got to pound them right before the brooding season. Yeah, that's true. You, you want to have as many out of the equation before that brooding season starts. But, you know, that can be done at any point throughout the fall winter and 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 my philosophy is if you're going to hit them you want to hit them hard when you're getting a value out of the fur and if 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 you're not going to put the time in to you know get the value out of the fur then give them to some kid or whatever to get them tanned or, or whatever with that um approach because it's our duty as sportsmen to get the value out of that animal as well. You know, wanton waste to me is one of the, that's almost as bad as poaching. If, if you wanted my specific opinion and that's kind of my opinion, but any time that you can catch these nest raiders is going to alleviate that pressure off of them in the spring. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. It is. And what you said is true. I mean, you know, some people would say, well, you, know, you want to be trapping them before they breed, and then that way, you know, they're you're taking out not just the, the sow raccoons, but all of the babies that she would have. Well, if you trap that sow in June. November, she's not pregnant. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you've you've taken those babies out for next year too so yeah you know if if that's the oh yeah if that's the only time you can get out there then you know that's fine it's your land it's 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 your you know it's your trap line but me personally i try and educate people that when you're out there getting them you want to get a value out of that fur because i just feel that that's you know and even though the fur market you mentioned earlier is you know abysmal um there is still value there's a lot of value, you know, if you take the time and then put into it. Now, uh, you know, there's going to be farmers and ranchers and people that can't, you know, necessarily do that every time. But if, if that's a possibility, you, you want to catch them when there's a little value to the to the animal itself. Yeah, that actually is one of my questions I had to ask, had for, for me to ask you today, is what are some of the uses of these nest predators? I mean, obviously we have fur, but what are some other uses of even parts of these nest predators, skunks and possums and Well, coons? yeah, there's, there's markets for everything out there. I mean, there's, I don't know, there's websites, taxidermy.net. Taxidermy.net is where all the taxidermists hang out looking for critters and things like that, skulls, and, you know, you know, the, believe it or not, one of the best animals to catch as far as a value is a skunk. A skunk pelt skinned out with the feet, you're probably going to get 50, 60 bucks. You're also going to get money for the skull. You can drain the skunk essence, which sells on the wholesale market for about $25 an ounce. You know, a skunk in and of itself is about a $100 crit in the grand wow. scheme of things. That's not, you know, a lot. You know, when you were getting $70 for Red Fox back in 1980, which in today's money is like 300 but there is value there. Raccoons have uh, not, you know, especially down south, there's a lot of people who will buy the raccoons right off the carcass as, as a food source. 
there's value to it that if you skin it out and tan it, what I do, I haven't suffered uh, an actual pelt that I've caught in probably, I'm, I'm talking on the fur market. I haven't sold a pelt on the fur market in probably six days. And that doesn't mean I'm not getting value out of the fur though. I, I have everything skinned out, flesh dried, and it goes to get tanned. And then we either make garments out of it whether it be hats, gloves, mittens, sell it as a, a pelt itself. Um, the one cool thing that I like to do is give them as gifts. I mean, it's a very unique gift to mm. give somebody. And especially what I like to do is if somebody allows me to you know, trap their land or has me come and we film our TV show there or something of that nature, I keep those critters kind of separated to where when they come back from the tannery, I give them a couple. I'm like, hey, this is one of the critters that come off of your land. It's, you know, fully professionally tanned, and I wanted to give this to you as a thank you for letting me on your land. You know, they make great gifts, and and it's, you know, a lot more meaningful to somebody to give them that than to go to Walmart and spend 20 bucks on a trinket that they're probably going to re-gift. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of different variables that, can be done and it's it, it, it's not the fur market does not drive my mentality to trap and you know that's one of the things that a lot of people will say well i'm not trapping this year they aren't worth anything and i'm like well you know how much is how much is a turkey you go shoot a turkey well, you get to eat it. Well, yeah, I can also go buy a butterball for about 20 bucks, and, and I won't have to get up at 3.30, so I'm in the woods by 4.30. And, and you know, so that's not a good, that's not a good argument. You're, you're spending money and time because you're enjoying it. Well, find the enjoyment in the, in the trapping aspect of it, too. That's, you know, what I try and, you yeah. know, tell people. Yeah. How long does it, you know, if you catch a raccoon, let's say from the time you pull him out of the trap to finished product on skinning him out and everything, how long does that take you to do? Oh, uh, you know, we'll we'll take our animals home. And if we're not extremely tired that night, we'll skin them out that night. You try and keep up on it because you don't want to get, you know, behind or bogged down. But I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a sheep skinner or flesher or whatever. It'll take me 20 minutes to do a full raccoon, probably from start to finish. Yeah. That's, that's not bad, skin yeah. flesh skin flesh dried. Then you know you send it away to tan, and it's usually going to be about a six month turnaround on the tanning. And you know I said I buy fur also because of you know part of what we do is like said making garments. So I usually send a good batch, but, you know, you hit those quantity breakdowns. It's not, you don't need to send hundreds and hundreds of pelts to get, you know, a better price. But we're looking at, I don't know, each animal average across the board is probably going to be about 18 to 20 bucks to have professionally tanned. And, you know, that's pretty minimal expense, you know, bringing back to Walmart, buying a trinket, somebody, you know, wanting to re-gift it. You know, they're getting a nice raccoon or a fox or a coyote or whatever you caught. And it costs you, your, you know, a little bit of time plus 20 bucks, you know. So there's value if, if people want to look at the value. But is anything in life, you know, if you want to make excuses, there are excuses to stay away from doing things as well. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned using the raccoon as a food source and canning it. So mm-hmm. who or what? Or eating the raccoon? Well, you're going to have to do the research on that. I just know that uh, there are, you know, various 
people in the South that that they sell their raccoons on the carcass for ten bucks. Okay. And there's there's a lot of actually it's, we're doing something along. And, and I just purchased Dakota line snares out of uh, South Dakota to go along with the process of the traps and the base that we offer to allow, you know, landowners, farmers, ranchers, hunters to have kind of a whole system to, you know, protect their land or even the the housewife who's 55 years old or 60 years old and out there working a garden where we want to be able to help her control rabbits and the problems that that she's having and, and across the board. And, and that's my biggest thing is, is the outreach to show people that, you know, if you're having problems in your garden, you got rabbit produce, you not only can catch the rabbit with our product, but you can have that as your table fare. So, you know, that's how I'm trying to educate people for the necessity of this. And as time goes on in a fur market with as bad as it is, there are a lot of going to trap just for that mere fact. And that's only going to add to the the numbers of, of these animals that are out there. So, you know, the whole grand scheme of things, this cookbook is, it's its kind of, we're trying to make it funny and, and show how you can cook pretty much anything. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever heard of the Hunt Chef. He does seasonings. He's out of Pennsylvania as well. He does a, a, a spot on one of the TV shows. I don't watch a lot of outdoor TV. I don't have time, but he's on one of the shows where he does about a four or five minute spot showing people how to cook wild game and, and I got him involved and, and we're going to, you know, do some videos showing people how to do it as well. But uh, there are markets down there. I, I, I know that uh, I know of at least a half a dozen trappers that trap down south that hey, every raccoon I get, I, I, I can sell them. People eat them. And I'm like, well, that's kind of neat. I've never looked into it because I don't I don't, you know, live down there and, and trap full time down there. But. Um, there are different things and it's not just raccoons, muskrats, actually, I've eaten muskrat, I've eaten beaver, I've eaten bobcats, really. Um, there's a lot of different, you know, there's a lot of different animals that, uh, can be definitely used for tables. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a cookbook with, it's got two or three possum recipes in it. I just haven't tried it yet. Yeah. Well, I've I've never had possum. I'm sure that, you know, that (laughs) the hunt chef, he's like, oh, we got to cook the coyote and I'm and I'm like, all right, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I, I have eaten coyote. It wasn't bad. It wasn't something that I would personally choose to want to eat on a daily basis, but it wasn't offensive. It was like, I'd say like an old buck, but even tougher, mm-hmm. a little chewy. That makes sense. I can understand that. Yep, I can, I, I can understand that. A little bit of that gaminess that the old buck has compared to like a nice fresh yep. duck. But, yep. Uh, as far as actually trapping... So you have a bait called, you said Coon Buster? Yeah, we have our Coon Buster. That's our DP bait. And then we have our trailing sense, the Magnum, which is a really sweet base scent. And, and, and it's kind of, we mix the sweet with the crawfish essence of the Coon Buster. Yeah. Could you kind of go through, you're setting a, a DP trap out with the trailing scent? Because I've never used trailing scent. Could you just kind of go through your process? How much bait do you put in the trap? You know, kind of yeah. how full do you do it and how do you do the trail and do you so also short, do you, do you stand the dog proof straight up or do you put it at an angle how do you do just kind of your full set yeah I, I, you know the setting of the dog proof you get it set 
it goes straight in the ground, straight up. And I don't use a lot of bait. That Coombuster's soaking crawfish, and if you look at a DP in the ground when it's set straight up, it actually looks like a crawfish burrow where they push the mud yeah. up and it creates that cone. So my thought process is I, I want to have something that smells like crawfish. And, and what do raccoons always do? They'll reach their hands down in those holes trying to grab a crawfish. So that's what I'm trying to So we soaked our bait in crawfish essence. The bait that we put in is about a tank. It goes to about right where the trigger is. I kind of want that animal, the first time he reaches in, to, to be hitting that trigger and pulling it up. Trailing scent is a sweet, you know, Loganberry. It's got Loganberry in it, blueberry, corn oil, uh, three or four different essential oils. And it's a really sweet berry smell. And then you just kind of like syrup it around the lip of the trap and then just throw it out on the trail, like maybe two feet in each direction. And it's ready to go. And when those raccoons, possum, skunks, you know, they walk with their nose down a lot. They don't like run along like a coyote. Their, their, their nose is to the ground a lot. It's very low. And when they hit that trailing set, they just work right into uh, the trap. And, and, you know, we have a tremendous amount, like on our YouTube channel, you can see a lot of the footage. And I put my DVDs on the full length, you know, coyote trapping, the full length DP trapping, the full length night raider video, which is on basically the DPs and showing all night footage of animals actually working the sets. And you'll see how they work a set and they come in. They hit that trailing scent, and they work in, and they work the trap. We do not get a lot of animals in that nest raider category walking by those traps. There's, you know, did I sit around and, you know, Einstein a formula up? Absolutely not. I just felt that the crawfish was, and we've had a lot of success with it. And now, like I said earlier, you can catch raccoons and stuff on dog food and different baits and lures, and, but we've had a lot of emails now where people are like, your bait's outperforming, you know, two to one. Your bait's outperforming, and, and, and I think it just comes down to that that natural instinct that they see that, they smell like crawfish, they think it's a crawfish burrow, and they reach down in, and, and they pull, pull up on the trigger. That's, mm-hmm. you know, where it's at. But when it comes to baiting them, don't overbait them. Don't fill them to the top. Uh, yeah, there's no I need to, to waste. <laughs> there's no need to waste the bait. You just fill it up to about where the trigger is, which about a tablespoon of bait will do for you. One, you're going to save on your bait costs, and two, if it does rain or or you know you have dog food or cat food in there, if you're using that and you don't go with a you know commercial bait or lure, the rain makes it soggy. And if it's filled to the top, they may reach in and be like, oh, this and taste it and be like, nah, I don't want that, and then and then go away. But if you keep the bait at the trigger or just, you know, below or above the trigger, when they reach in there the first time, you've got them before they even taste it. So it kills nice. a couple birds That's with one smart. stone right there. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, are you always using the coon buster? Because I've heard certain people say that times of the year they prefer sweets and other times of the year they prefer meats. But are you always coon buster in a sweet? Yeah, we don't, we don't. Yeah, I mean, we might change it up once in a while. We have another bait. It's called the Reaper, and that's more of our water bait that we'll use for, uh, you know, pocket sets, sets around the water and things of that nature. It's a uh, fishy-type smell with fish pellets and a bunch of other, you know, essential oils, fish oil and salmon oil and things like that. We'll use that as a change-up. The only time I use that is when 
forgot to put enough Coon Buster in the back of the truck, and I ran out. <laughs> so if I'm Coon Buster's the, to go to year round. That's that's what I go to constantly, and 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 we we you know we kind of cover both angles. That's the fishy meaty smell in the bait, and then we have the trailing scent on there, which is sweet. So it's kind of a uh, an equation that that they just uh, interact well with it. And like I said, though, I'm not going to sit here and try and sham wow my my baits. Anything you can catch on a raccoon on, you can catch them on anything. Yeah. Um, I just like what we've put together, uh, just because it, in my mind, coincides with what's happening in nature. Yeah. What about skunks and possums specifically? Because I tend to catch more possums with the cage style trap than I have my dog proofs. And do you catch them just pretty equally on that coon buster bait? Yeah, we catch the the possums. If they're in the area, we're gonna we're gonna catch as many possums as we do on the raccoons with the coon buster. And we will catch skunks. The only problem you have with the skunks is smaller possums. Um smaller skunks their arms aren't really, their front arms aren't really long enough to get down in there that three inches to pull that trigger. Now, one thing you can do if you're targeting skunks specifically <laughs> is you can dig a little hole and actually get the top of the DP down level with the ground. And then what the skunk can do then is use its back legs to drive its arm down in there to get to the trigger. Huh. Um, and they won't they won't pull the trap over or knock it over in that process. So mm-hmm. if you have DPs that are you know knocked over or whatever, a lot of times that's going to skunk or a really really small possum that 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 did that. Yeah. How do you dispatch a skunk? That's a question I definitely wanted to ask you because how's your singing voice? Pretty bad. Uh, you might be in trouble. <laughs> the what we're doing and actually we just. Uh, uh, my company, we partner with Crossman, and we've come out with a dispatch rifle. Um, it's an air rifle, 17 cal, 1,200 feet per second. That's what we're dispatching every animal with from this point forward. Uh, it's less blood. It's less pelt damage. There's a lot of variables that go into that. When it comes to skunks, if you, like, more often than not, when we dispatch a raccoon, a possum, a coyote, you know, a fox, whatever, you're just really tapping them in the top of the, you know, forehead between the, the ears, just above the eyes, yeah. and that that's going to shut them down. Um, yeah. The skunk is different because if you if you do that with a skunk, they're going to spray 90, 95, 100% of the, just for the mere yeah. fact of the shock of getting hit, they spray. If you dispatch them like you would vital a deer from the side, kind of that quartering away into the vitals, the air rifle is, one, not loud like a, even a twenty two. It doesn't have the shock value, the inertia of a twenty two, And a lot of times they will just hump up, expire right there without spraying. So that's what we're trying to do on the dispatching of a skunk, we're trying to basically dispatch them like you would, would shoot a deer through the vitals from, from maybe a back 45 degree angle through the vitals. Hmm. And so do you like walk right up to them where you're just right yeah, there? Yeah, we walk right up to them. If you just, yeah, you just keep, you know, downwind. You, you don't want to, you know, be there. You want to kind of try and maneuver around them to where, you know, when they spray, it's it's going away from you. So 
they'll follow you. you Like if you slowly, the best thing to do is handle them with kid gloves. Don't walk right up to them, but you don't, you're going to know when they're ready to spray. They don't just, you know, spray. They only have so much of that. That's one of the things I think people get a misconception on. Skunks don't like to spray. I mean, that's their last resort. And mm-hmm. you, if you're calm, the calmer you are, the calmer they're going. If you run up on a set, like, oh, we got, we got a skunk, we got a skunk, and, and you're yelling and people are yelling and ripping around, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They're going to get agitated and they're more apt to spray. But if you're like, hey, you know, I'm just going to walk around here. And they're going to just, they're not, you know, going to be as apt to spray at that point. And then you get in a position and you dispatch them that way. Mm. Yeah, a friend of mine trapped, he had a live trap in his equipment shed and actually trapped a skunk. And so he sent mm-hmm. a picture out of the skunk and he's like, what am I going to do now? And so I called a trapper that we had on the show before and said, hey, what what can he do without so he doesn't get sprayed? And he said, well, you just got to keep the skunk calm. And yep. I said, well, how do you do that? He said, I sing to them, you know. Well, yeah. I, I don't go in singing Guns and Roses. I don't have the voice for that. <laughs> yeah. Voice for that but. yeah. And he said, but, you know, I'll go in there and, and I'll just sing or, you know, go up to him just talking. Yep. You know, just being That's real. That's good advice. Being real deliberate in my movements and slow, yep. and I'll take yep. a blanket and put it over the cage, and then take the cage off. Some. Yeah, he's absolutely spot on. He's 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 telling you one hundred percent valuable information. Like I said, he said, just be calm, and you know the deliberate movements and everything, or you're going to be fine. They're not, you're not going to get sprayed, but you know, like I said, stay up when something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if I sing to the skunk, the first time I tried to hit a high note, it would turn around and nail me. Yeah, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend <laughs> I'm going to say, and I've not done this because I've never actually never had a skunk in a trap, and that means I'll have one in the first trap I set this, this fall. But I would, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say no death metal. Do not sing <laughs> no, death no, metal. No, I, uh, I don't think Slipknot's going to keep him in a... That's pretty good. Uh, So, So, do you want to talk coyotes, bobcats at all, Andy? Yeah, I mean, if we've if we've got time, how are we on time? I haven't even looked. We're up to Alan. I'm I'm good. (laughs) No, I mean, there's really not much. There's really not much else. You know, I'll go back to what you said at the beginning. You know, expert. Yeah, there's people that you know, are going to know more and just from mere, you know, time in the field. But I, I, I put coyote trapping and, and bobcat trapping and fox trapping almost in the same category as raccoon trapping. It, 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 it don't believe everything that you hear out there that, that it's, it's hard to catch coyotes. There are very few things that somebody needs to do to be successful at catching predators, you know, and, and if somebody does want to see what I'm talking about when I mention these points, they can get on the YouTube and, and look at how I make a set and, and pretty much across the board, anybody that is trying to teach you and tells you there's a, 
you know, secret or a special bait or lure or whatever. They're just basically trying to sell you something a lot of times. When it comes to coyote traffic, well, bobcat traffic, like, you just need to be on target for them. They don't have any gear basically working a set. The problems you run into are the coyotes and the foxes to where, you know, people will say, scent, you got to worry about your scent. I, I got a nasty habit. I played baseball for 10 years, and I've been chewing Copenhagen since an early age, and I'm spitting all around the sets. There's so much human scent around my sets, and, and I'll go back, like, the very next day and have coyotes and foxes. So it, you don't have to worry about scent like a lot of people tell you. Yes, you want clean traps, and that's first and foremost. You just want clean traps because they'll work better. When it comes to catching predators and catching them consistently, the number one thing is that trap has to be solid. It has to be bedded properly to where there's no wiggle, no wobble, no movement. And what I mean by that is if a fox or a coyote or something steps on the jaw or the, you know, the spring or something other than the pan, that that trap doesn't wiggle or move under the dirt that they're on. And that will solve about 99% of your problems as a predator trapper if you just bed the trap properly. And when I mean bed it properly, I mean you have it in there like it's cement to where it doesn't move. And then it just comes down to, you know, being on location, which is when it comes to any type of trapping, you want to be on sign, whether it's tracks or scat or trails or game cameras that have gotten pictures or whatever that you know the animals are there. And and 99% of all your problems as a predator trapper are going to be solved if you bed your trap properly. And then it comes down to what you have in the hole. You can pretty much put anything in the hole. The whole job of a bait or a lure or, or you know, something to use is to pique the interest of whatever animal you're after. And there's not one bait on the market. You can get into a trapping supply catalog or other websites that carry everything, or you go into a Shields or a Cabela's or wherever where they carry some stuff, and there's 30 different baits, and they're, well, which one do I? They're all going to work. And what its job is as a bait or lure is to pique the interest of that animal. So when it comes to being successful as a predator trapper, 99% of the problems will be solved by betting your trap properly. And the other 1% is being on location and however many traps you put in the ground. That's where your success rate comes, along with your population of animals. If you're in Pennsylvania and you're going out and your goal is to catch 300 coyotes, that's a pretty lofty goal. That would be very tough to do. If you're in Kansas and you want to catch 300 coyotes, you can probably do that during that season, but it also going to take a lot of work. You're going to have to put at least 300 traps in the ground, so you're going to have to make at least 300 sets. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, you're working on a 10, you can get to 20% ratios on your traps. That would be unbelievable, but if you're you know putting in 10 canine sets, uh, 10% is a good ratio. Like, you know, you put 20 sets in, you have two canines the next day. You know, last year, just for instance, I was in southern Illinois, right on the Kentucky border, and I put in 21 sets. The first night, I caught two coyotes. Second night, I caught two coyotes. Third night, I caught none. Fourth night, I caught two coyotes. So I had 21 sets in the ground and caught six coyotes, and I felt that was a pretty good percentage to have. Yeah. Um, So it was basically 84 trap nuts, and I had six coyotes. So that's probably in the, I don't know, 7% range, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was happy with it, you know. Yeah. So 
don't don't think you know you put four traps in the ground and you shoot back and have four coyotes. That's just not how it works. But when when you do put the traps in the ground, bed them properly to where when an animal does come in and work the set, that it's going to fire and be ready to go. And then the only other trip or trick or tip or whatever I can tell somebody that's looking to do this is have patience. Patience is key when it comes to any type of trapping, especially predator trapping. Don't, if you, if you set a coyote set and you don't have anything hit it the first night and you go the next day and there's a, a coyote track on the back of the set where he didn't work the set, trust yourself. Do not think you did anything wrong and let it go. Don't do anything else to it. One of the biggest mistakes you can make at that point is add more bait, more lure, because it's not needed. That coyote knows it's there. Something he didn't like, but I guarantee you within two days he's coming back to work that set, especially if you don't do anything. Some of what he didn't like is going to dissipate. Some of that smell is going to dissipate, whatever it is. And then he's going to be more apt to work it. But if you put more bait and more lure in there, you've just changed the set. So the next time he comes back, he's going to notice that's different and he's not going to work the set again. So the mm. two biggest things to being successful, if you want to add one to the bedding of the trap, the second one is patience. Yeah. How how big of a hole do you make for the, because you're putting a hole and then you put the trap back off the hole for the animal to step on. How yep. deep is the hole and like how big a rent like are you just punching a little hole with some bait in it or are you going to drill a big old hole and how deep does it matter yeah well yeah i I, yes i do think it matters i think the deeper the hole the better because what you want is you want that animal to have to bury his nose right down in the hole to get way down in there so he's not thinking about anything except getting down in that hole so if you dig a two-inch dirt hole, I mean, coyotes and most animals, they're thieves, and they're they're going to do what's easiest for them. But if you have a deep hole, they have to get their nose way down in there. And and the deeper the hole, the better. I don't, you know, we sometimes, more often than not, I'm using a trowel to dig the hole in uh, farmland and things like that. I do carry an auger with me if we have some, and that's a two-and-a-quarter-inch auger, so... But most of my holes are going to be at least 12, 14, sometimes 16 inches to where I want them I want them as deep as, as they could be in most situations. Now, if I hit a rock at 8 inches or whatever, I'm fine with that. I'm not going to, like, lose my mind and have to go dig another hole. But if I can dig a deeper hole, I'm going to dig a deeper hole. Yeah, I had another trapper told me about you want to be able to reach at least elbow deep in. So that sounds about like what you're saying. Yeah, that's probably elbow deep's probably a little farther than I go. But, you know, I'm using that trowel and it'll get down in there 14, 16 inches. I mean, the the whole trowel will be down in there sometimes. Yeah. And that's like those are those little tiny shovels is what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just uh, a trapper's trowel. It's about 20 inches long and, and has a, you know, triangle spade on the front and it helps you dig the hole. So you just dig a good 12, 14 inch hole, bed the trap right at the mouth of the hole, basically, with a really Yeah, I'm going to be bed most times about six inches because I'm setting for a lot of different critters, coyote, possum, yeah, possum. That's the one thing you're going to catch a lot of times before you catch anything else, but... Coyotes, fox, bobcat, I'm I'm generally, you know, six, seven, eight inches back. I don't get a roller out. 
but that's, you know, I'm pretty much making the same set every time I make a step down set, which is down in the ground where they actually have to commit. Uh, I don't make a lot of flat sets, which would be even with the surrounding area. Mine, mine's almost like a little depression. The one bad thing about the set I make is, is if you do have a lot of rain, I'm pretty much going out there and, and pulling swimming pools and remaking sets because they do fill up with water. But yeah. I do that just for the mere fact that that's my system, and, and I like that they have to commit and create momentum. So when they create momentum and step down in there, they're putting all their weight on that trap. So they're yeah. not tenderfooting. They're not they're not able to tenderfoot my sets in most instances. And I'm, you know, that's what I've worked on, and that's where you know most of my sets uh, fall into place. Nice. When I know you said patience is key, but you make a set, let's say for coyotes, bobcats, that type set. How long are you keeping it there before you decide this isn't going to do it? If I'm trapping canines, coyotes specifically, if I'm putting in the work, putting the sets in the ground, I, I, I want to give myself at least seven to ten days for that trap to be in the ground. Okay. So what about uh, raccoons and possums or a dog? Raccoons, possums, things like that. If you're if you're on the trails and, and you got the sign and you know they're running them trails, you're not going to have to wait. You're going to have them sweet yeah you you if you you know i I pretty much you know you can't guarantee anything but i pretty much guarantee you if you got a corn pile and you have two trails that you got game cameras on and there's five six raccoons coming in every night i can pretty much guarantee you you set five six traps on those trails leading to that corn you're gonna have some raccoons the next morning pretty much guarantee you that if you just put them in the ground and you know obviously we're using the coombuster and the magnet but i I, it's just it's 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 so easy to do Uh, you know you teach a a 10 year old how to do it and they're out there doing it on their own you know it's 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 Mm -hmm. not that hard it just comes down to you know you putting in the work to to do that part of the process yeah yeah so before we wrap up, can you, uh, I've got two questions, you know, kind of on the, the tail end of all of this, but yeah. number one, talk to us a little bit about taking care of our traps. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're using a, if, if we're using a wet bait or even a dry bait, if it gets rain and, you know, we get rain and those dog proofs that all of a sudden now we're using a wet bait. So what's the best way to care for those to keep them from rusting so that we can get a lot of use out of those traps going forward? Yeah. Like there's a lot of different people and philosophies out there on trap care and trap prep and all these different things. I do one thing for all my traps. That's it. Whether it's coyote, the five fifties, the dog proofs, body grippers for beaver, every trap that I use, I only boil and logwood dye. That's what I do. I do that to clean them up. It gets all the the dirt, the grime, whatever's on them, it gets them off. Now, if I'm in an area that gets a lot of rain and I'm pulling a lot of muddy sets and whatever, I may take them to the car wash, spray them off so I don't have all that mud everywhere. Mm-hmm. But then I'm just going back and I'm getting my, basically I cut a, a half of a, the old burn barrels, a 55-gallon drum, cut it in half, put that up, and fix 
filled with water and we pour in two or three um, dump in, it's crystals, the pounds of logwood crystals, and then get that to a rolling boil. And then we boil the traps for about a half hour, 45 minutes. They come out, they're all cleaned up, they're, you know, black and they're ready to go back in the ground. Um, I'm usually boiling my traps, uh, depending on how much I'm traveling. I had to boil my traps in Missouri last year. I, I, I was running out of clean traps. And I went around and found where I could buy a 55-gallon drum. We cut it in half, and I boiled traps before I went to Mississippi. But the logwood dye is all I use. Now, people are going to say, you need to wax your traps, and you need mm-hmm. to... To do this and do that, I don't. I don't wax my traps. I just feel it's an unnecessary process, especially if you're keeping them clean by boiling them in logwood dye. It's paramount. You know, you want to have clean traps. In my eyes, it's more paramount for good working order as opposed to you know. I mean, I, I mean, we've got we've got raccoons and DPS that have been sitting out there for a month and had more bait and more lure dumped out put back in catches catch circles and you know you don't have to worry about anything dealing with human center anything with with raccoons possum skunks now you'd be hard pressed to continue to put a trap that's been in the ground here and caught a coyote and then you take it somewhere else and put it in the ground and catch a coyote and over a period of time that you need to clean that trap up but all i'm doing for Trap cleaning is boiling everything and logwood dye. Very good. Last question I have for you is there's some states around the country that are starting to loosen up some of their regulations regarding trapping when it comes to trapping nest predators for, you know, we're going to say wild turkeys because I think that's a large part of what's driving the loosening of these regulations. But is the... North American Trapper, is it doing anything to to help with that? And what can we do as turkey hunters to help in that process as well? No, that's a good question. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I don't just think it's part of it. I think it is the main reason why game commissions and conservation departments are are relaxing some of the the season dates and things to allow for more opportunities. Um, I'd like to think that North American Trapper, the company, my company is is part of that process and educating and, and, you know, helping out in that process. I know when we started our TV show and started talking about nest raiders in the fall of 2020, that wasn't a term that a lot of people were using. I don't know if we coined it or whatever, but you know, we've been using that terminology trying to promote and, and teach this process to farmers and ranchers and hunters alike and homeowners as well. Moving forward, I do have some working relationships with uh, being from Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Game Commission. We are in the process of do, doing this fall some videos that are going to be educational that will go out showing, you know, the methods and techniques uh, I know Missouri's uh, one of the states that's relaxed some regulations. I believe Alabama as well. Um, there are different philosophies on that, as you know, even within the community. You know, we talked earlier where I believe the question was, you know, is the best time to trap March and April? And and you know, I went on and said that I feel that we should be getting value out of the animal as well. And no matter when you take that animal out of the equation. It's not there when the turkey brooding season's there 
come springtime. So anytime that anybody can get out there and do this, it's going to help. And it's not a hard process. Anybody listening to this, especially turkey hunters that are looking to enhance their ground, take some of these out of the you know population, they can do it. And, and, you know, for a long time, you know, I remember when I was a kid growing up in the 70s, man, you couldn't get a trapper or anybody to give you any information. Everything was a secret because, yeah. you know, everything was worth a lot of money and people were trying to make livings off of trapping. And I, I know people that have bought new vehicles with their fur check and down payments on houses back in those days. So, you know, there was some guarded information my my whole philosophy from day one when i started north america trapper in 2003 uh we've been ed, you know trying to educate you know via dvd television our programs for almost over 20 years and you know the whole philosophy is just to get more people involved and you know every time that you or i or anybody can talk about this uh, to educate and, and, you know, show the value of it, it helps us all as conservationists moving forward. Um, do we want to kill all the raccoons? Absolutely not. I love raccoons. I think they're a cool animal, man. Yeah. And I like possums. I think possums are cool. I love catching a possum because, uh, you know, every place I go, and whether I'm on a farm, and I let people know before I go there whether I'm on a farm or not, when it's getting towards the end, I'm going to let one of your nest raiders go. I'm going to let him out of the trap, and he's going to run free because I'm not there to decimate populations. I'm there to help try and control some of the issues with the higher predator numbers now. But I'm, you know, I'm going to let – I remember in Illinois last year, uh, I was at Daryl and Diane Hafford's Rocky Branch Outfitters, and, you know, we put a – you know, we went in there and trapped for about 12 days, and we caught a lot of – those nest raiders and the last one he was there with me and i was filming it and i said well you know it's getting to the end here i think i'm going to let this one go and i pulled the possum out and he waddled away and he was like what are you doing i said i always let one go so you know you have to look at it from a conservation standpoint and understand that you know the raccoon has as much right as the turkey but we also want to help the turkeys in that in that equation just because nobody's out there doing it right now right yeah very good i've enjoyed this cameron do you have anything else before alan nah that's all all i had to ask and i really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us it was some great information and yeah i'm like fired up to go get a trap line in the ground <laughs> no doubt yeah you know that's awesome i hope you go out there and, and do it and you know one of the good things i don't know if you have kids or grandkids or whatever but it's such a cool thing to take a kid to do this um i equate it with if you're taking a kid fishing the first time you take them out with a bobber and catch some panfish that's about what these dps offer you if if you're on sign you can pretty much guarantee success the next day which is really cool in the ability of getting kids involved in this that you know because there are future stewards there are future conservationists and we want to promote with them these techniques that will allow them to do these things for generations forward amen yeah absolutely yeah alan thank you again for your time and for what you do to help promote trapping around the country and 
you know, we'd, we'd love to have you back on sometime again to maybe dig a little bit deeper into maybe some more advanced techniques for the coyotes and bobcats and fox and just pick your brain a little bit more so hopefully we'd hopefully well, cameron didn't say anything to make you mad or no you know, make you uh, anti yeah. i'm unoffendable <laughs> i'm unoffendable <laughs> well, i i really appreciate alan and i won't be cutting any loose on my property but that's that's noble of you on <laughs> No, I just, you know, that's one of the things I do. I just, you know, when you go in there and you're catching, you know, a lot of critters, uh, I just, uh, I let one go. I always do. I let one go just because, you know, that's, that's my whole philosophy. I'm not in there and we're not in there to try and decimate critters. We're there to help out. And, you know, that allows me to leave that property knowing there's, there's, uh, still some running around to keep that balance. Yeah. Well, Thank you, and good luck this trapping season to you. Yeah. I appreciate it. You guys, you may holler anytime. We'll do it. Thanks, Alan. All right. All right. Goodbye. I have to tell you, this is true confession time, but I have to tell you that I was just a little bit skeptical on doing a series on trapping. Yeah. But I'm not anymore. Yeah. No, I think we're going to be just fine. Yeah. Because That's everybody, everybody has their little things they do that works for trapping it's just like turkey hunting i mean how many episodes have we done on turkey hunting everybody does it a little bit different and it works yep and so you know with alan i've never used a trailing scent for dog prints i think i'm gonna add that to the arsenal because i i mean i've had on camera when i've set it on a dog proof i've had several raccoons walking down the trail that walk right past it and you know maybe that trailing scent across the trail will stop them and get them investigating rather than them just cruising by right so i think i might order some of that coon buster bait he seemed pretty high on it give it a shot yeah you know i thought i might try some of that as well just something different yeah but i well and we'll talk about it when we hit our episode as well but i have just always had really good luck with cat food yeah but you know i'm i'm not against buying a commercially available bait for raccoons again something a little bit different and you know the i love this country man i mean somebody comes up with a dog proof trap is it not the most one of the most ingenious inventions for trapping ever great for the antis keeping them off us and also just to protect your own dogs most most people own dogs (laughs) exactly and then somebody says well you know that thing looks a lot like a crawfish burrow burrow. why don't we make a bait for raccoons that smells like crawfish to use in our dog proofs i mean you know just putting one and one together but i think that's awesome so yeah, yeah, I'm I'm gonna try that and you know, and it will help support Alan's company as well and so why not? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, yeah, so I think I'm gonna get on his website I noticed he has a package deal where you get the coon buster and the sweet trailing scent that he mentioned. And so I think I'm gonna try that out because Alan obviously is trapped way more than I have and he says that's the best combination he's come up with. Worth a shot in my book. Absolutely. So yeah, well, I'll I'll report back on the how that works. I, I might do kind of a test run where I do my usual half cat food, half mini marshmallows, and then another round with the coon buster. And if I'm nailing them all in coon buster, swapped all that. 
that's the way to do it. And, you know, I think most trappers would tell you that, you know, do some A-B testing and then that way you're getting the most result out of your efforts. Yeah, yeah. And we'll... I'll talk about the methods I've used and, and what's worked best for me in my experience, you know, short-lived as it's been when we get to our episode, but we got two more really good guests before we get to that. Absolutely. And something just to think about for a little while, we're 191 days, 19 hours, 18 minutes, and three seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. Wow, that's awesome. Archery fall season starts next weekend here, so we'll see if I end up going archery again. I don't know that I can make myself do it, but I might. Yeah, you've got some... Photos of some, we'll call it bait, since we're talking about trapping. You got some photos of some bait. So it may get you out there. may be enough to pull you away. I know. Hopefully hopefully I do get out there, you know. I'd I'd like to go. It's just a matter of whether I actually can kill something with a bow. Yeah. We'll see. We will see. Yes, indeed. If nothing else, I'll probably be out scouting. That's the one good thing about archery season is that I can take a bow and go scout. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Good stuff. I guess if I'm going to say the favorite of the week this week, we have one other guest lined up already for trapping. I don't think we'll have a problem getting a second one. But if you as a listener know an expert trapper or know of one and you would like to hear them on our podcast, shoot that over to us because that'd be that'd be cool if a listener wanted to nominate kind of an expert trapper in their mind. And we'll get them on for our third guest. Yeah, we've got a nomination already. Excellent. Yeah. So anyone else who wants to nominate someone, please do. And that's not to say that if you nominate someone and we choose someone different this go round that the person you nominated won't be on because we're we're not going to stop yeah. doing episodes on trapping. I mean, if we're going to continue to do a podcast on turkey hunting, then we're going yep. to continue to make a, or put a focus on trapping. Trapping, habitat, and hunting turkeys. That's what we're you here for. So that's the favor of the week this week. You want to wrap us up? Yep. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.